Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. Today, we are joined by Dr. John Giordano to talk about addiction and the antiquated systems that we use to treat it in today's society. One of the things that happens with with treatment is they keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, which doesn't work very well. And why is that? Because we're only treating one part of the person. Genetics is involved. They can have the DRD2 ALE1 variant gene, okay, which means they're predisposed for addiction, right? But there's such a thing as epigenetics. That means that the social environment actually can change the gene expression. So you're not doomed to be an addict because you have the gene. But that's part of the answer. Then there's the psychological part, the spiritual part, which is always addressed, okay, but we're missing some major parts. The first part we're missing is longer time in treatment. You can't expect people's brains to heal in 28 days, especially with drugs. All right. So is anybody going to say that drugs and alcohol do not damage the brain? I don't think anybody's going to say no. All right. But what are we doing for that? See, that's the problem. You want to talk to your cut? You got a cut in you. I'm talk to it. Let me know how it works. All right. So there's what I lecture about is low thyroid can cause depression and anxiety. Leaky gut syndrome and H. pylori infection can cause depression and anxiety. And by the way, your audience, look it up. Don't believe a word I tell you. Look it up for yourself. Low testosterone and high testosterone can cause depression and anxiety. Hypoglycemia can cause depression and anxiety. Closed head injuries can cause depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, and behavioral problems. Heavy metals can cause disruption into neurotransmission, which can mimic attention deficit disorder and bipolar disorder. Now, these are the things that we don't look at. So how can you treat somebody for addiction and mental health issues without looking at all these different quadrants that's going on in the body? What in your mind, doctor, is creating the increase of, and I'm going to use increase in air quotes, of depression and anxiety among the youth right now, especially after COVID, the reports are over the, over the moon? Okay, first of all, look at what's going on with diet, number one. Okay. Number two, exercise. A lot of them don't exercise. They sit on the couch. They're playing video games. They're not paying attention. Attitude, okay? It's that we've gotten too soft, I believe, in dealing with our children. I think we got to be a little bit more disciplined with love, but disciplined also. Uh, children need to be in sports so they can start learning discipline. So they can start learning how not to give up so easily with things. Uh, this young generation is not as strong as, I don't believe, as the previous generations. But has human development really changed? Because, you know, human yes. development, which parts change? Because I've heard both sides of this argument. I have a five-year-old yeah. that knows more than me when I was 10. But is that just access to information or is that human development? Well, I think it's both. Okay. I think our brains are developing because of the stimulation that we're getting with all of this input. From early childhood, 
You got little ones on the phone at two years old. My granddaughter's three. She knows how to do FaceTime. She knows how to buy on Amazon. She knows how to dial numbers. She knows how to talk into the phone to get the message to her mother or to my to my wife or to me. Three years old. We didn't have phones like that when I was growing up. I'm 76 years old. So, I mean, if you're wondering what's going on, this is what's going on. Kids today don't talk to each other. They text. You're, you're from the South Bronx. And I, right. I, I actually just uh, uh, interviewed a, uh, a doctor who rides in, he's a paramedic, a doctor, an emergency doctor who rides in on the buses in the South Bronx. That is the busiest ambulance company in the world, you know, unless you have an active war zone. But consistently, the South Bronx has It proved, is an active war zone. It is an <laughs> <laughs> Now, so you're coming from an environment where you're saying these kids aren't as tough as you were. Now, no. is... No, I'm not saying that that particular environment because there are segments in areas where you know kids that rode up poor. I was a, I was an inner city kid. I was in gangs when I was a kid. Yeah, you know I used to do uh, eventually I did collection work for the smugglers. I used to train some of the cartels bodyguards. Uh, I did a lot of crazy stuff. Then I got on drugs. Even though I was in karate, okay, and doing all of the good stuff, I got on the wrong path. Right, but then I got clean at 37. Now it's been 38 years I'm in recovery. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't drink. I don't do any of that stuff. So, the kids today, not in in the cities where they're there, it's really like rough and tough, but in the more affluent areas, a lot of these kids are not. I don't know. I just see it differently. Not all, but I think a lot of them and. You know, I have my own ideas what's going on with the drug treatment programs and, and also with the with the drug problem we have in this country. You know, if you really think about it, Aaron, how many years have we been fighting this drug addiction stuff? You know, just say no, lock them up, let them out. Right. How about let's do something smart, okay? How about legalizing everything? Now, if you legalize everything, and you use outside of that parameter, you do 10 years in jail. That would be a deterrent, number one. Number two, what people don't understand is that drugs are so easily, you can get it so easily, it's like a joke. Okay, so what, what are we doing? We're not doing anything. If you legalize it, at least you get people, they have to go through a course of, of, uh, of uh, treatment. Okay, if they're on drugs before they can go and get their drug from the pharmacy or whatever. Okay, everything has to be computerized, of course, to see if nobody drug hops. Okay, they would have to have education on what addiction could do to you. Plus, the money we get from selling it and taxes the government, they could put it into treatment. Because what they're doing is not working, and it's a joke. You've been a holistic doctor, your clinic. Well, let me, uh, let me clear up about the doctor for a second. I, I have an honorary doctorate degree. Okay. But I have a master's in addiction. I have a master's in neurologism. I'm a hypnotherapist. I do criminal justice specialist. I'm a mitigation specialist. I'm a, I do a lot. Of, I'm also a chaplain for the police department. And I'm a traumatologist who works with police officers that have been in shootings 
and people get me back from Iraq and Afghanistan, and people have addiction and mental health issues. So I do a lot of stuff. And and you you know, twenty years ago, you you founded the G and G Holistic Addiction Treatment right. Center. So right. you've I been. I started it with three hundred dollars. And I sold it for $45 million in 2012. So my wife and I started our treatment center with four children going to the food bank, you know, and, and doing that same. Right. Well, you I, know, I you, worked at a place like that, too. Yeah, you, you do what you got to do to get that stuff That's started. Right. Now, like us, you started. And I'm, I'm curious, how long ago did you really start to embrace this holistic conversation? At the beginning of our talk here, you were you said, hey, 90% of serotonin dopamine is made in the gut. Do you know how few people actually know that statistic? You and, and I I've do. been talking about it for over 20 years. So what was it about your recovery that put you into the 12th step that wanted you to look at the whole body, not just, oh, you got to get him sober, feed him in as many cupcakes and milkshakes as you can to, you know, let him smoke cigarettes and drink coffee outside. Because like you, I'm straight edge now. 20, 24 years, I've been straight edge. Not a cigarette, not a, etc. Et, 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 et. So now we're, but but this holistic thing means the whole body, all of right. it. Right, it means, it means comprehensive, holism. You know, one good is getting clean and sober. And these people are dying left and right from heart attacks, from diabetes, right. from all this other stuff, all these sugars and all this processed food. You know, people think because they stop drugs and alcohol and these other behaviors, eating disorders, gambling, sex addiction, all this stuff. Listen, if you don't take care of the gift that God gave us, this body, okay? You know, I look at it this way. God, whatever that is to anybody, gave us the gift of life. It's what we do with that gift of life is I'll give back to God or whatever you want to call it. So, you know, if you don't treat your body right and you're smoking cigarettes and you're not exercising and you're eating garbage, okay, you're not going to be a happy camper. Now, we're still dealing with, again, as as you and I were talking offline, we're dealing with an antiquated recovery system because still to this day you can go to a 12-step meeting people are standing outside drinking a monster eating a donut and smoking a cigarette saying thank god i'm sober thank god i don't use drugs anymore when they're putting sugars and and caffeine and all kinds nicotine, of drugs into their body they don't know it's just called a drugs. different name that's all right so where do we even start when we're talking as, as parents my listeners how do we even start talking to the kids about drugs because any one of them, and you're you're talking to someone who is a, a prolific cannabis addict here, and had I had the internet, those conversations with my mom would have gone like this. Here's 4,500,000 websites that'll tell you that cannabis is not addictive. But you and I both know that anandamide and the THC mo module mo molecule are in lockstep in deal in creating a false neuromodulation of my brain that only works now when I'm high and when I'm sober. Now I got all this anxiety, so I keep smoking. Well, I'm going to tell you what the problem is. First of all, misinformation. Okay, right. and you know they used to say, "Oh, you, if you smoke pot, you can shoot it up." Well, who's shooting up pot? I mean, I mean, these are the ridiculous things they were saying. Okay, now does. The derivatives from the hemp plant, or the, uh, from the can cannabinoids, help people? Yes. Sure. Can it hurt people? Yes. 
okay? And it depends on what it's used for, how it's used. The problem today, okay, uh, CBD, without the high part, to me, from what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, and things that, works very well for people. But when you start doing this, medical, they're using this as an excuse for medical marijuana, people are getting high, but they don't realize is. Listen, I went to Thailand to smoke pot. I went to um, uh, Santa Marta in Colombia to smoke pot. Okay? It doesn't even compare to what they have today. Today, it's 10 times stronger. What we're noticing also, first of all, it, it causes lack of motivation in the frontal lobes. Secondly, what it does is it, it also, people don't understand that certain people can have schizophrenic become schizophrenic smoking pot, okay? One out of a 1,000, I think it was. I think now it's one out of 500 or one out of 400. I don't know the stats anymore. Um, but it definitely doubled increasing that you can get schizophrenic because if you're predisposed for any of this stuff and you're overloading yourself with all of this this powerful, powerful cannabinoids. And you're, you're talking about marijuana-induced psychosis. Yeah. But not only this, yeah, not only that, people actually become permanently schizophrenic. You know what I mean? Now, nobody's going to listen to that and nobody's going to believe that. Look, I always tell people this way if you have to use a substance, okay, to feel different, then you have to take a look at what's going on with me that I can't do it on my own. You know, and it's that simple. People say, well, I want to take it to relax. Oh, I want to just take a break. Oh, it makes me feel good. Oh, it makes me this and it makes me that. Well, it's making you that instead of you're making it that. It's got to be your strength, your willpower, your, you know, things. That's what needs to be done. That's what they have to understand. But they don't, you know, that's why I say people should be in sports. So much is solved by body movement. The brain chemistry starts firing again. You get hungry for, for better foods, not just more food. You know, you, you crave healthy things when you have a healthy lifestyle. Well, you know, look, this, 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 our whole country has become addicted. Okay. Not just the drugs, the money, power, control. Um, it's, it's really sad because See, I look at it as the the addiction model. I call it short-term success and long-term failure. You know, most people say, well, how do you know I'm an addict? So I tell them, there's a simple way I approach it. You know, because somebody told me I'm an addict, I would have laughed at them. You know, and the bottom line is, is this, if you continue to do a substance or a behavior in spite of adverse consequences, maybe, just maybe, you have a problem with that. And you have to take a look at it. I'm coming out of left field with this question. Do you think kids should go to the 12-step programs? Well, you know, the 12-step program has changed dramatically. Has it? Yeah. Haven't been in the rooms for a few years. Yeah. It's changed in in a way. It's it's going through what I call a revolution. Everything's going through that. Everything is changing from moment to moment. We're changing from moment to moment. New information, new emotions, new feelings, new things go up in life. You know, um, remember, we didn't have phones, cell phones, before we went to meetings. Everybody's on their phone in the meetings. I'm watching this. 
I'm also watching what's going on. When I remember when you went to an AA meeting, okay, you couldn't talk about drugs, and you know it. It it it's, it changed. It's not like that anymore. You know, and what's really interesting, if you look back into the history of, of uh, Alcoholic Anonymous, uh, a lot of the AA people were on benzos, but they weren't drinking. But what they didn't realize, they were on the same receptor site as alcohol. So what they really did is they changed seats on a Titanic. Right. I, I heard I heard benzos, uh, any of the bennies described as this is dehydrated alcohol. <laughs> like That's all this, this it was. It's the same receptor site. That's why, it, 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 you know. Um, well, I never got in trouble with the benzos. No, but what you do get happens is you can get irritable. Um, you know, you got to, now you're addicted to that and you're dependent on that. Um, and it doesn't work as well as somebody who's got their stuff together, you know? So this, this does bring me to my questions about ketamine. And, and like you when, you, when you talked about earlier, when you talk about legalizing everything, I'm in agreement. And I voted for the legalization of marijuana. We need to look at it. We need to find out how it can be used as medicine. And recently, my wife has been doing some ketamine treatment. And it's remarkable. Now, my only experience prior to to ketamine was so kids. High is a club drug. Yeah, kids coming in to the program being like, oh, my God, I love ketamine. It's like, holy crap, this is more of the same. But now I'm seeing therapeutic use. You know, on the front page of your website, you discuss a little bit when and 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 i've I've had interviews people talking about using cannabis to help with opioid addiction. Again, all temporary. That's something people seem to forget. Crutches are temporary. You get on a crutch to stay off of an affected limb until that limb is ready to put weight on. And then little by little, you add weight until you don't need the crutch. And people seem to forget that whole part. But ketamine. Can you talk a little bit about it? Sure. I, I was against ketamine. I was lecturing in Taipei, in, ta in Taiwan, at uh, the Neuroscience Conference. And I lecture about what we were talking about, the gut health and the brain yeah. and all these different things. And, and um, there was four scientists in four different rooms talking about ketamine because they have a, a ketamine epidemic in Taipei. All right? And I said, wow, I'm not going. That was five, six years ago. I said, I'm not going near that. Well, over the years, they have changed. You got some, they're starting to get some real numbers out there. Uh, whether they're real or fake, I don't know, but, uh, about not that many people, not that any that came to our clinic that wanted to get high off of this stuff. And not especially when you have it on low doses. It forms a, a, a psychedelic effect and you go into your trauma and then if your wife is doing ketamine, I hope they have a coach that does integration with her because that's key. Ketamine is not a magic bullet. Ketamine is what I call a door opener. It opens up that door to your subconscious. Now, what people, what talk therapy does, it works with the software of the brain. What these psychedelics work with, and, and EMDR also, uh, works with what I call the hard drive of the brain. See, if you erase something off your computer, it's going to be on your hard drive anyway. So you didn't, it didn't go anywhere. It just changed places. So same thing with trauma. 
Same thing with psychological, same thing with the, the old stories that we tell ourselves from child, early childhood. Our early experiences are in our subconscious. And it, it overshadows everything the way, the way we look at life. So what ketamine does in the proper hands, okay, it's everything's a double-edged sword. Uh, exercise can be bad. If you overdo it, anything you want to pick, exercise, anorexia, yeah, Boulder, yeah, Boulder, Boulder is the number one place for exercise, anorexia. There, there are more of that right here in this hometown. I see it every single day. Right. So, if done under a medical supervision, the way we do it, okay. First of all, we we do an analysis on them. We make sure their heart's okay, their kidneys are okay, their lungs are okay. Our liver's okay. You know, we get blood work to them. We go, we make sure we have an EKG on them. We have a heart monitor on them and an oxygen meter on their finger. After we get an approval from their psychiatrist or their, their primary care doctor, if not, we have our psychiatrist and doctor will do an evaluation so we can get a diagnosis on what we're looking at. Because there's certain rule outs like schizophrenia, uh, disassociative disorder, uh, uh, bipolar disorder, manic, extremely manic, things like that, schizoaffective disorder. So those things are rule outs for ketamine and psychedelics, actually. So when done, it's a six sessions. It's two, two a week for the first two weeks, and then it's one a week after that. But then what we do is we add counseling. We do group therapy with them. It's included. We have integrative coaching for two hours with the with the client. That's included. And there's another thing, Aaron. Are you familiar with uh, NAD plus? Yeah. Okay. That's unbelievable. When done properly, also, NAD plus is for those of you that don't know. NAD plus is a an enzyme that's in every cell of your body. It works with what is known as your mitochondria. Your mitochondria is in every cell of your body. It's the engine for your cells. NAD plus is the fuel for that engine. It repairs cells, gives you new energy, and as you get older, NAD gets depleted. And it also works, believe it or not, terrific with uh, ketamine because it works with depression and anxiety too. Most people don't know this. So, there is more research to be done, but I'm a result player. I'm watching the results. So when I see people getting well and staying well, you know, now we're going to be doing uh, outcome studies. So I can quantitative everything that I'm seeing. Also, what we do is brain mapping. So before they go under, we do a baseline and we put the cap on with the electrodes to show the electrical output in the brain and the deficiencies in their brain. All right, and then at the end of their sessions, we take another image of their brain to show them actually how they benefited from it. And then also, because we want long-term results, we offer neurofeedback, which neurofeedback shows you how to your brain's a muscle, and when you exercise particularly areas that are deficient, they get stronger. And with, with ketamine and NAD plus N, Neurofeedback does, they showed this on PET scans, EM, you know, fMRIs, it grows new connections in the brain. So not only are you getting a psychological hit, you're getting a new connections hit in your brain. 
overriding those old connections with those old stories that you have in your brain. And that's what this is doing when done properly. You and I have have started this conversation around, you know, all the new things that we're trying because this antiquated system is go, undergoing a change, maybe still too slowly, but we're still dealing with things like 28-day clinics. And doctor, I don't know about you. And if, and if I'm insulting anything you own, I apologize. I have never heard of an outpatient day program, an outpatient program healing somebody. Okay, let me explain. So let me, let's let talk about outpatient. Again. Does it work? No, no, let's talk about the way it needs to be done. Yeah, go because, for it. Okay. You go to you go to what they call let me let's go over the system, which is interesting. My son almost died from this disease. My wife almost died, so did I. Got it. So I have a, a vested interest in what I'm doing. I'm not happy with the status quo. We're warehousing people, we're not treating them. So we call detox a detox. Detox means you go into a hospital or you go into a facility. They give you other drugs to get you off the drugs you're, you're currently on. And then they send you on your way. Okay? It's not treatment. People get it confused. Okay? But it's not detox either. They should be called stabilization units. Because all you're doing is stabilizing somebody. Their blood pressure and making sure that they're safe. All right? Now, the insurance companies don't want people to get detox anymore from uh, heroin or opioids because it's not a medical necessity, according to them. It's just another way for them not to pay, okay? Uh, people commit suicide that are coming off uh, opioids. So they don't get that part. So is that a medical necessity? I would surely think so, okay? Now... After they get out of detox, we have them, we want them to go to treatment, okay? Here's a guy using, let's say, 20 years, all right? He damaged his brain. His, all his behaviors are cemented inside of him really well. We're using just talk therapy, okay? And we're not hardly doing, tell them to go, don't drink, don't drug, go to meetings. Or go to a three-quarter way house or something after treatment. But now they go to treatment for 28 days. The first two or three weeks, they're not even, I, I don't know about anybody else. I was in treatment. I didn't even know what the hell was going on. You know, I told them I wouldn't even get high with you people, let alone listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> so I wasn't the nicest guy. Anyway, so here we are. So now the 28 days they say, you know, all right, we want you to go to long-term treatment, maybe. Okay, but who can afford that because the insurance don't want to pay? So the way it needs to be done, the way we did it, we kept people for 45, almost 60 days. They didn't even have to pay. Okay? If they couldn't pay, yeah, you owe us the money. We never saw the money. But, you know, sometimes. Um, then we would put them intensive outpatient, which was three days a week. It's nine hours a week. Then we would put them in outpatient. Then also they would be part of the aftercare program, where it's a proper aftercare program is we help them get a job. We help them get a place to live. We helped them if they wanted to go back to school. We helped them if their credit was in a mess. We helped them with life skills. Because if you send an addict back to where he was, he's going to do what he always did and get what he always got. So we did. A, we had one of the top treatment centers in the country. We did hyperbaric medicine and treatment. We did acupuncture. It's only been around 5,000 years. I mean, uh, you know, know. It's new. Right? right. 
We did amino acid therapy. We have 15 papers on it that shows how we upregulate dopamine with just amino acids. We did aromatherapy, light and sound therapy, neurofeedback, colonics, lymphatic massage to get the drugs out of your body on a cellular level. We did heavy metal testing. We took them to a gym. We took them, they did yoga. Okay, we have spirituality uh, meetings, non-denominal. And we took them to whatever meeting they want to go to, NAAAOA. And we addressed all the addictions. We don't call it alcoholism. This is drug addiction. This is eating disorder. Dr. Blum, who's the geneticist who found the addiction gene, and that's I'm on his team. All right, we call it RDS, Reward Deficiency Syndrome, which means it's a lack of dopamine and serotonin in your brain connections. Being as you're predisposed for addiction and you don't have enough receptor sites, okay, are the ones that are malfunctioning. So that's what we call it because maybe the symptomatology is different, but all roads lead to, to, to dopamine and serotonin. And that's what addicts and alcoholics and eating disorders and gamblers and, you know, I'm a gambling counselor also. There's more of a high going to gamble than actually gambling. It's not about winning or losing. It's about the action. Cocaine goes with sex addiction. Alcohol goes with gambling and pills. I mean, it's just, it it's depends on your makeup and what you gravitate towards. Most addicts and alcoholics are cross-addicted. I never met an addict or an alcoholic that has only one addiction. Some of them, they don't even know they have another addiction. So we look at we looked at everything. I've said this a couple times on the podcast in, in my earlier shows, but to to that point, uh, when I when I finally stopped doing LSD and cannabis, uh, I started I was drinking. You know, I could, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll do a year without smoking weed. And I was using as much LSD. It was up to 11 hits a day. And I was drinking as anything I could get my hands on. That was on. the first drug I did was LSD. You know, it's, it, this is, it, 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 it was a ridiculous reasoning, right? But at least I wasn't smoking cannabis to prove I didn't have a problem. Then when I got into the 12-step rooms, immediately started up with uh, in, into a really toxic, unhealthy relationship. Finally, they convinced me you gotta be, you gotta be single for a year and a day. And immediately issues with food began. And it was a that was about a year and a half into treatment where I finally realized, oh shit, it's me. Like it's, it's me that's, it's going to keep, I can't blame weed. I can't blame LSD or women or food. Aaron is the addict and I got to deal with Aaron. Aaron's trying to medicate himself with everything that he felt didn't damage him as much as the other thing. Yeah. And it was just, and that, that line for an addict keeps moving. Cause I always said, well, I'll never do cocaine. I never did, but, but everywhere you move that line, well, I'd never do, I'd never do this. And you get deeper in and then, you know, you do it. Well, I'll never steal. You start stealing. Well, I'll never deal. You start dealing. And no matter where you are, you move that line one That's more level. Right. So a question that I have about the what's coming next, we're coming to the end here. So I want to make sure we, we get everybody, your contact info, where they can follow up in, with you. The, the, the question I have is, What's next? Because we are, I feel like there's so much more knowledge. Okay. There's some things coming down the pike. I, I work with some of the top guys. I mean, these guys are like, we used to call them eggheads, right? Uh, 
unbelievable scientists and researchers and, and people that really understand the addictive mind and, and, and mental health issues. I began, I worked with Dr. Deborah Mash. She is a leading expert and pioneer in Ibogaine medicine. You know what Ibogaine is? It was outlawed in 1973 here in the U.S. Portugal has been using it extensively. I've got a show about it from, from a clinic in Portugal. But uh, I'm one of the leading, uh, Dr. Mash said, I'm one of the leading experts on Ibogaine. Okay. We've been doing it for over 25 years. Okay. Uh, I worked with her on the island of St. Kitts for 13 hours, uh, for 13 hours, 13 years. And then I used to bring them back to my treatment center, treat them, but most, uh, most therapists didn't know how to treat people on psychedelics. Well, that took psychedelics. And even now, Ibogaine in other countries where it's becoming widely used, you have to have a doctor on with them while they're going through the process, like constant monitoring. I don't know what's no, next. No, 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 no. Let me tell you how it's done. Okay. The right way, Okay. Why say the right way? Because we were a research company also. Plus, we had to do it under medical supervision. Okay. But also had it where you have that spirituality component. You know, not, not like a shaman component, but not not where you don't have anything, all the guardrails in place. So we used to do a heart monitor on them for 24 hours to make sure, not just the EKG, which is only a snapshot. Then we would do blood work on them to see how their liver is functioning, their kidneys are functioning, what state of health that they're in. Also, what we did was um, we'd give them a toxicology test. We want to make sure what's on board that doesn't belong on board when you do that drug. You know, it's just like any drug. You know, certain rule outs for certain drugs can't be on board while you're doing that drug. Okay? So then, you know, the first thing is to do no harm. Okay? Then I would bring them to the island of St. Kitts, Kitts and we would repeat the test, right? And do a thorough investigation on any drugs that were they might be hiding because addicts have to last the raw. You know how we are, you know? Oh, I want to go detox. I want to get one more hit before I go, you know? Um, then what we do, we would, I would do therapy with them. I would get them to find their intention. Why do you want to do this? What's going on? Where do you want to go with this? Then we would lay them in a hospital bed. We put an IV in their arm in case there was an event. We put a heart monitor on them and an oxygenated uh, finger oxygen test. Okay. And we would put eye shades on them and, and um, earphones on them with noise cancellation. We would give them a test dose and we observed them for 45 minutes. If they tolerated it, we would give them a full dose depending on their weight, depending on their usage and things of that nature. They would go anywhere from eight to 10, sometimes 12 hours. Then they would come out and I would debrief them about what they saw in their journey and help them to get. I saw miracles for years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miracles. You mean like people going in well, addicts and coming come out? People come out of so... detox at 24 hours from heroin and, and methadone, right? 24 hours. Yeah. And they have no cravings, Holly, any residuals from from uh, uh, from getting detoxed and wanting to get help. I mean, 24 hours, people are they're in their rooms sleeping sick or Puking. they don't get yeah. you know, appropriate medication. They get sick, um, don't want to talk to anybody, don't want to come to group for sure. Well, okay, so I got a question about all this because I know a lot of parents listening, this, this shit freaks them out a little bit. So I got to ask you, John, you know, Ketamine, Ibogaine, 
ayahuasca, a lot of us have been told that these can be miracle drugs. Again, let's be clear, supervised, used properly, well-researched, papered, but do EMDR, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lump EMDR in with this. Well, question. That's what I do. I, but I, yeah. I do a hybrid of EMDR. And, okay. and I think EMDR is brilliant. But what I'm, I'm asking is, John, do you think there is a magic bullet? No, no, absolutely not. None of this is a magic bullet. What this is, is a very good starting point. You have to do the work. You can't go to the gym, work out for a week, and say, well, I'm in shape. I don't have to go back. <laughs> Put me in the ring, coach. Yeah, I'm ready. That's to it. I'm ready. You, you just took a white belt class. I'm in. No. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, you know. So that's my answer. There was no magic. But listen, there are definitely better ways than giving people Suboxone on opioids because that's an opioid. Okay. And we did this before in the 1900s when we had a morphine epidemic. You know, we wanted to give them the, the help with the morphine epidemic. Heroin. Well, we all know how that worked out. But that, see, that's the fear is that now we're, we want to, we're talking about ketamine. Now they're talking about cannabis use for opioid relief. And, you know, and, and you and I have just been talking about that as an, as an addict, we're always looking for the substitute. We're always looking, if I can't do this, what can I well, do? See, that's what I was saying early on. Okay. Especially these young kids. Okay. They're looking for quick fixes. Yeah. They're not looking for the long-term work. Okay. But it's not even work. It becomes a way of life. So you don't even notice you're doing it anymore. Eating right and, and, you know, working out and, you know, and, and, and what people, listen, when you exercise, you get rid of stress. Stress depletes dopamine and serotonin. So you get a two for one hit. You raise your dopamine and serotonin. Okay. And you're prevented from depleting the stress from depleting your dopamine. So it's very important, okay? And sugar, and for those who have children, if you don't believe sugar has an effect, tell you what, guys. Give your kids sugar at 8 o'clock or 7 o'clock at night before they go to sleep, and let me know how well you do for the rest of the night. And that's what we wake up to. John, how are they going to find you? How are my parents going to follow up with you, read your research, okay, find out more? Uh, they can go to John, the initial J, Giordano, G-I-O-R-D-A-N-O.com. That's my website. Uh, I think it even has my phone number and my books are on there also. Um, I have my life story. I was molested when I was a kid. My father was a heroin dealer. Um, uh, he went to jail when I was eight. I got molested at eight and a half by boys in the neighborhood. Then I got molested by a girl who was my babysitter. I all, all kinds of things that went on. My uncle... My family was like a mafia family. My uncle was a hitman, and he threw my wedding when I was 20. And the caterer insulted him in front of the family. So the next morning, he killed him. So we had to leave town real early. So if you want a really interesting book on somebody who never gave up and turned $300 into $45 million, read the book, The Kid from the South Bronx Who Never Gave Up, No Matter What. Parents, obviously... You can see in the show notes, johnjgiordano.com. I want you to get his book. You can buy it on Amazon, The Kid from the South Bronx Who Never Gave Up. John's story is incredible. And in in talking with him, in in just not only talking about this edgy 
these edgy concepts, this edgy research, ibogaine, ayahuasca, ketamine, these things that people think they know. And part of the reason that legalization is an important topic to have, it's an important conversation to, to be involved in, is because as long as it's illegal, we're not going to look into it as deeply as we can. The moment we can get this stuff regulated, the moment we can begin to understand it, the first step was legalizing THC. Now we can do the research on the massive amount of THC that is in this refined thing that your child is smoking that they call dabs and they call shatter and they call glass and they call what you need to know is that this is being processed with butane. It's not the flower. It's not what we use. It's not what John went to Thailand to smoke. I've smoked Thai stick. This, what your kids got sitting in their room in those vape pens and everything. That's not what it is. This is, this is a new wave. This is a new era, not only of drug use, but of drug research. So I want you to go to johnjgiordano.com, johnjgiordano.com. I want you to make sure you go there and check out all of his stuff. Do it now because this guy has been on the cutting edge for 40 years. Big thanks to Deepin Productions for the work that they do. Parents, make sure you take care of yourselves first, your adult relationship second, and your children third, because in that way, you're going to do your best work with your children. I'll see you next time on Beyond Risk and Back.